57 this morning. The loss of a loved one, as we all know, is a very difficult time uh, for many reasons on top of the emotional pain and strain that it puts on our lives we have things such as funeral preparations and paperwork uh, to deal with recently some friends of mine lost a newborn infant and uh, saw on Facebook the other day where uh, the mother wrote and asked you know where do I go to get a death certificate because the insurance company uh, needs one for our son and it's a jarring reminder to us that as we are left behind that life goes on uh, as much as we grieve and as, as difficult as life is it does continue even when we don't understand what God is up to I imagine that was the feeling of the followers of Jesus after he was crucified what in the world is God up to? Here is Jesus for three years. He had called them to himself and he had taught them and he had displayed the power of God through healings and through miracles and raising of the dead. And Now, as he predicted, he died on the cross at the hands of godless men. So the followers of Jesus at this point, confused, and feeling abandoned, perhaps, wondering what God was up to, wondering what do we do. Well, Mark provides for us today the details of two different groups. They remind us that we are to serve him faithfully, even when you don't grasp the big picture. We know from God's word that he is always in control. All things happen according to his purposes. We know that with our heads, but sometimes with our hearts we don't understand what in the world is God doing in this. But even in those moments, we are called to, by faith, trust in Him and to serve Him faithfully. Let me invite you to stand with me if you're able to this morning in reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God. I'll be reading from Mark chapter 15, starting at verse 40, and these words written by Mark under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the Less, and Joseph, and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and minister to him. There were many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. When evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time, and summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Joseph bought a linen cloth, took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the, in the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were looking on to see where he was laid. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit of God, we thank you for ushering us into the presence of the Almighty this morning. 
And as we have come to this holy word today, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to see the wonderful truth of God and and see how this applies to us. As we have come today gathering in the name of Jesus and proclaiming there is no other name on earth or under heaven by which we may be saved. Holy Spirit of God, impress upon us this morning uh, the message that you have for us and lead us into a life that is one of service and faithfulness to the Lord as we fully trust in His wonderful plan and His amazing grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated at this time. As we are quickly approaching the end of Mark's Gospel, we find ourselves in a text of Scripture today that we sometimes have a tendency to overlook. If we were to think about uh, the, 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 the Mount Rushmore of the life of Jesus, we would have perhaps his birth, uh, his baptism, and then the cross, and then the resurrection. But as we look at this passage of Scripture and we see the amount of space that Mark gives to the burial of Jesus, and compound that with the fact all four gospel writers emphasize the burial of Jesus. And we add to that these words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. We add all this up and we understand this is a very significant event in the ministry of Christ. The fact that he was buried. This speaks about the certainty of his death. There's no mistaking it. There is witnesses. There is what we consider perhaps a death certificate. Jesus was dead. But we also have eyewitnesses to the certainty of where his body was laid, where his tomb was located. Very important things as we think about the upcoming resurrection of Christ. He was truly dead and his followers truly knew where he was buried. And as those disciples faced the uncertainty of what next, what in the world are we to do, we see some lessons from a few of them that are important for us. Perhaps as we find ourselves in situations where we question what God is up to. First thing we are to do is honor Him with our loyalty. Loyalty. He deserves total allegiance from us. And this is always. We see that portrayed in the the lives of these women that Mark speaks of. First of all, we see the women's attendance in verse 40. It says, There were also some women looking on as Jesus was hanging on the cross. And what makes this so significant, we look at the attendance of the women, is the absence of the apostles. We know from other gospel writers that John was there, but Mark makes no mention of this, I believe, because Mark is trying to show in stark contrast these women and their faithfulness and their loyalty to the Lord as opposed to others who were not there. The women's attendance... We also read about their apprehension in verse 40. It says because they were looking on, but yet they were looking on from a distance. 
Not to bring in too much from the other gospel writers to interpret what Mark is saying, but we do read that they were at one time at the foot of the cross. But now by this time, Mark emphasizes that they have left the foot of the cross, and now they are looking on from a distance. Why were they at a distance? Perhaps it was out of fear as to what might happen to them as his disciples or uh, perhaps it was out of grief and sorrow that they just could not bear to be there any longer while he was suffering in anguish and then distanced themselves. Uh, we don't know, but Mark does emphasize there is some apprehension there that while we might criticize them for being at a distance, yet they were there. They were present as opposed to others. Even in a difficult time, their loyalty is seen. We also read about this in their activities. Mark in verse 40 and 41 looks backwards to explain their presence. Why are these women here? And It's significant that he mentions their personal names in verse 40. Uh, these two Marys and also this Salome. And it's significant because Mark doesn't really mention people's names a lot in his gospel. But yet he mentions the personal names of these women. Some have tried to Christi uh, criticize Christianity of being so male chauvinistic and patriarchal and, 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 and degrading towards women. But yet we read about in the life and the ministry of Jesus that women played an integral and a vital role in the life and in the ministry of Christ. And here these women are mentioned by name and their loyalty on display as they were there with him. We know that they were followers of Jesus. They followed Jesus. Verse 41 says, when he was in Galilee, they used to follow him. And this is a, a discipleship term that Mark uses. To be a Christian, to be a, a believer, a disciple means you follow Christ. You, you tread the pathway that the Lord has set. You pick up your cross as the Lord did. And you follow him. They were, they were disciples of Jesus. While not named as the twelve apostles, they were full-fledged disciples, students, life followers of Christ. They were also faithful to Jesus. Verse 41 says, when he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and to minister to him, to serve him, literally to wait upon him. And it's a term that denotes ongoing action. It wasn't that, well, there was that one time they followed him, that one time they waited upon him, but then after that, that that's... No. It's a continual habit, a, a lifestyle of faithfulness to Christ. They followed him, and they ministered to him. From Galilee, that was the beginning of his ministry, remember that? All the way to Jerusalem, from the beginning to the end, they were loyal. And they demonstrated their loyalty to Christ by following him and by serving him. In sports, sometimes we use the terms bandwagon or, or fair weather fan. This denotes those individuals that when the team is doing well, they, they cheer for them and, and they write about it all over social media and they, and they wear the clothing. But when the team is not doing so well, uh, then you don't hear any cheers. You don't read about any cheers you don't see any of the clothing it's those bandwagon or those fair weather fans that are obvious to everyone 
Now think about applying that same logic in your relationship with your spouse. Would you want to be labeled as a bandwagon husband? Well, yeah, he's really loyal to his wife, except whenever they're not getting along, and then he's not quite so loyal to her. Or she's just a fair-weather wife. She's loyal to him whenever he follows instructions. <laughs> but when he is hard-headed and stubborn, she's no longer loyal to him. You know, that doesn't sit too well with us, does it? We think about us as believers, as the church. We are called in the New Testament the, the bride of Christ. We are called upon to be loyal to Him. Loyal even during times of, of uncertainty and confusion. Times of suffering and we don't really know what God is up to. We're called to remain loyal. Stay faithful to Him. But you know what the good news is? Even in those times where we're not quite so loyal as we should be, He's still loyal and faithful to us. Think about the presence there at the cross. The, the women were there. We already mentioned the apostles were not. But was Jesus finished with the apostles? Even when they weren't quite so loyal as they should be? No. No. That's the amazing thing about the grace of God. We, we ought to be loyal. We're called upon and we should be loyal to Him. After all, He lived and He died for us. Why would we not want to be loyal and faithful followers to Him? But even in those moments where we are tempted and we fail, His grace is so amazing and it's there for us. He's loyal to us. At all times, we need the Lord's grace. We need to honor Him also with our loyalty. He deserves it, as these women were demonstrating in their lives. We also need to honor Him with our legacy. Our legacy. Interestingly enough, if you've been with us throughout this time, you, you've noticed the term Mark and Sandwich used sometimes. This is the last example of that in the gospel remember how a sandwich works you got two pieces of bread and right in the middle you got the good stuff you, you got the meat Mark introduces one subject and right in the middle of talking about that subject he inserts something else and remember where the emphasis lies in the Mark and sandwich what thing is, is, is takes the, the prominent position it's the thing in the middle it's, it's the meat it's the good stuff well, here we have a Mark and Sandwich. He's talking about the women at the cross. At the end of this chapter, in the chapter 16, the women at the tomb. And right in the middle of that, we have Joseph of Arimathea and the body and the burial of Jesus. This is some important stuff that Mark wants his readers and us to understand. In verse 42, it says, When evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that, that is, the day before the Sabbath. This was Friday afternoon. It was the evening. Jesus, we are told, had died around 3 o'clock. We're told it's the day before Passover. Passover begins, or Sabbath begins, at 6 o'clock in the evening. And so we're dealing with about between 3 to 6 o'clock in the afternoon. And we see Joseph moving with haste because once Sabbath began, no more work was to take place. And so if he was going to honor the Lord through burying him, he had to do it quickly. 
And Mark emphasizes that here in this text. So we think about legacy, we think about our reputation, and we think about how will you be remembered when you're gone? Will you be remembered as a faithful follower of the Lord? It's an important thing to think about our legacy that it would live on in the lives of those who knew us, particularly those we influenced, uh, our children, our grandchildren, those who have come to Christ perhaps because of our service to Him. How will we be remembered? What will our legacy be? Think about the legacy of Joseph of Arimathea in this passage. This is the only time Mark mentions him. In fact, it's the only time he's ever mentioned in the Gospels in connection with this event, the burial of Jesus. As, as important and vital an event that is, Joseph is the one who is remembered in this. We see his dedication to Christ. First of all, verses 42 and 43. We read about verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea. He came and he was a prominent member of the council. He was a respected man. A prominent member of the council, the, the Sanhedrin. And we might say, no, wait a minute. Weren't those the dudes that were responsible for arresting Jesus and trying Jesus and delivering him to the Romans? Joseph was part of that group? Well, according to Mark, he was. We say, no, wait a minute. Now, was he responsible? Perhaps he was absent when they made that decision, or perhaps he abstained from voting. We read in the Gospels that, that all the Sanhedrin condemned him, but yet we also read in Luke's Gospel that Joseph did not agree with their decision. And John even goes so far as to say he was a disciple of Christ. But yet he was a respected man in his community. He was a man that was prominent. They, they looked up to him. He had a reputation. We also see he was a religious man. Verse 43 says he, he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God the kingdom of God. Now, we go all the way back to chapter 1. We read about Jesus. When he was baptized, he first began to preach, repent, and believe in the gospel, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In Mark's terminology here, Joseph was one who believed in what Jesus was preaching. So I think by implication, Mark is stating he was one who was waiting for the kingdom of God. It arrived in Christ. He was one who saw that and believed in the ministry and the message of Jesus. He was a religious man, a, a believer in the Lord. John's Gospel says, he, yet while he was a believer, he remained so in secret out of fear of the Jews. But something has changed in Joseph's life. Something has driven him from being a follower in the shadows to being one who was out in the open. What was it that led him to that? It was, it was the cross. It was the death of Jesus. He really went so far as to die for me. And just as the death of Jesus changed that centurion we looked at last week and how his heart was opened, something clicked in Joseph's mind too. He was a respected man, and he was a religious man, but he was a resolute man. Verse 43 says, And he gathered up courage, and he went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He gathered up courage. Have you ever, ever had to, to gather up courage? Maybe when you were wanting to ask out a, a pretty 
young lady and and you weren't quite so sure if she would say yes or not and you had to gather up that courage to do it or perhaps you wanted to to ride a roller coaster and you just wasn't quite so sure but yet you had to you had to gather up you had to muster up that courage we see that in joseph he he gathered up courage and went before Pilate. The thing about courage, some people mistake that with the absence of fear, but that's it's not the case. You, know, you can be scared. Nothing wrong with being scared. Nothing wrong with having fear. But being resolute and, and being brave and being courageous is facing that fear and moving forward anyways because it's the right thing to do. Joseph saw this situation. He saw Jesus on the cross and he was dead and he wanted to give him a proper burial. But in order for that to happen, he had to gather up courage and approach Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. He was a dedicated follower. We also read about Joseph's determination in verse 44 and 45. It was a great risk asking Pilate for the body of Jesus. What was the risk? The Romans had just executed Jesus. Why? Because he claimed to be the king of the Jews for treason. Politically, there was a huge risk. Jesus was executed for treason, and now you come out in the open and you claim to be one of his followers? It's a great risk he took. But also socially. Why? Because he was a member of the council. The Sanhedrin that had just handed him over and delivered him over and condemned him to death for, for heresy, for blasphemy. And now you're going to come out in broad daylight in the open and say, I'm a follower. It was a huge risk. He stuck his neck out, literally, for the Lord. Gathered up courage, went into Pilate. He asked for the body of Jesus, and Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time. Because typically it took two to three days for a man to die through crucifixion, a slow, agonizing, painful death that ultimately resulted in suffocation. Pilate says, you mean to tell me he's dead already? So Pilate summons the centurion and he questioned him as to whether he was already dead because I'm not about to release the body of a man who's not dead yet. (laughs) Pilate wasn't so foolish. And he calls in the centurion, the one responsible for the crucifixion, the death expert. He says, tell me, you've been around enough crucifixions. You've been around enough death. Is Jesus truly dead? The centurion says, yes, sir. John's gospel mentions the fact he was pierced with a spear through his side and blood and water came out. They made sure he was dead. This was the official death certificate. Centurion says, yes, sir, he is dead. And ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. That was very unusual because the bodies of the executed were usually left on the cross for several days. It was a grotesque deterrent to others who may try to cross Rome and the corpses were left on the cross. They were exposed to the birds and the wild animals. And after several days, the the corpse was removed from the cross and typically thrown into an open pit, an open grave, a a mass grave. Much as our stomachs are are turned and we're disgusted when we see the footage of 
concentration camps back in World War II. We have that, that image, men crucified and shamefully thrown into an open pit, left to rot, left to, left to nature, to the animals. Read, Pilate granted the body. This was unusual. But the only reason it happened, Joseph's determination. He says, I want to honor my Lord. And I'm going to take this great risk. And it may backfire on me, but I believe in my heart of hearts it's the right thing to do. And Mark mentions he was the only one. Talk about courage and determination sometimes to take a stand for the Lord and be the only one. But that was Joseph. Gathered up courage, goes in and says, Pilate, I would like the body of Jesus and it was granted because of his boldness. Now remember Mark's audience. He was writing to believers in Rome who were being persecuted and who were, were doubting perhaps their following of the Lord. And is it worth it or not? And here Mark says, check out Joseph. And because of his boldness, something unusual has happened. He was able to honor Christ because he was bold and determined Joseph's determination Joseph's devotion we read in verse 46 this is one of the most touching things we see in scripture look at these action verbs from Joseph it says he bought a linen cloth and took him down he wrapped him in a linen cloth and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out in the rock this was how they buried they would cut a, a cave out in the middle of the limestone and placed the body in the tomb. It says, and he, and he sealed it with a large stone over the entrance of the tombs, kept grave robbers out, and wild animals out, also kept the stench and the decay on the inside. Joseph went to great lengths. Joseph loved Jesus so much that he cared for in a respectful way the body of the Lord. Now you read uh, sometimes or watch on TV on the History Channel these, these specials dealing with the, the resurrection and Easter and things and they trot out these, these, these experts, these theologians and they'll, they'll interview them and they'll be sitting in, a, in their office surrounded by books and you're like, ooh, man's a scholar. Or they'll be, they'll be in the sanctuary and you're like, ooh, he's, he's very spiritual. And... Uh, They'll say things like this. Now, well, typically, as people were crucified, uh, they weren't buried. And so because typically men on the cross were not buried, then we have no reason to believe Jesus was buried either. And because we know scientifically people don't come back from the dead, the body of Jesus never really came back. But, but he lives on in his teaching and in his spirits. One particular individual, John Dominique Croissant, and you're like, ooh, he's French. You know, again, he, he's obviously an expert. And, and he wrote about this at length and quoted often as an expert. But you know what? When you, when you read about the, the ministry of Jesus, is there anything normal about Jesus? His birth, his, his life, his ministry? 
The salvation that He brings us? Is there anything normal about Jesus? No. Why would we think then, okay, then His burial must also be normal? Folks, it's all supernatural. It's all the power of God. And without the supernatural, there's no salvation. If you don't believe that Jesus was buried and that He physically rose again, Paul says, you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. And so to prepare for that final scene of the resurrection, we need the burial of Jesus. And that only happens because one man, one man was dedicated and determined and devoted. And he respected the body of the Lord. Now, I think we'd be a little remiss if we passed up that symbolism there. The tender care that Joseph took with the body of Christ. The New Testament says the body of Christ is the church. Think about that. As a follower of the Lord, a, a loyal follower, our interaction with the people of God, the importance of corporate worship and fellowship and accountability, and that tender love and that compassion we show for the body of Christ, that's a demonstration of our love for the Lord. As Joseph dealt with the body of Jesus a supernatural work of God leads us to our final point here heaven's direction in verse 47 it says Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph were looking on again to see where he was laid and this gives us eyewitness testimony was Jesus dead? yes how do we know? Joseph surely knew he handled the body the centurion surely knew he was dead. The women watched as he was crucified to death. Well, where was Jesus buried? Joseph knew. We read in Scripture also it was Joseph's tomb where Jesus was placed. The women knew where the right tomb were, was. They were watching from a distance. But as they were watching, it's preparing us for what comes next. It's preparing us for his resurrection. While nothing is mentioned in this text, there's no mention that any of them were anticipating the resurrection. It's quite the opposite. It's as if the women and Joseph believed he was dead and he was gone. And they wanted to honor him. They wanted, to, they wanted his teaching and his legacy to live on, as the liberal scholars say. But God in heaven had something else in mind. As these women watched where he was laid, and as nobody else believed or understood what God was up to, in his sovereign providence, God in heaven was declaring, my son is going to be buried with the intent that he will rise again. And even though nobody understood what God was up to, the Heavenly Father knew what was next and the followers of Christ still continued to serve him as Joseph demonstrates even though they didn't understand what their service was going to lead to but through the Joseph's service we see God preparing the resurrection another prophecy fulfilled in Isaiah 53 9 it says his grave was assigned with wicked men yet he was with a rich man in his death. It's Joseph. 
because he had done no violence nor was there any deceit in his mouth. God was not done. And God's not done in your life. I don't know what it is you may be facing, what uncertainty or questions or confusions or doubts or pain or sorrow you might be wrestling with, but God is not done with you. Therefore, serve Him faithfully even when you cannot grasp the big picture. This week, as we were getting ready to go to school, the kids were going down the stairs towards the garage, and I ran in the corner, and they were all standing there on the stairs. I said, what are you guys doing? They said, the light bulb is out at the foot of the stairs. I'm like, so? There's a door down there going down the stairs. Open the door and turn the light on in the garage. They weren't quite so sure about that. It's dark, Daddy. I don't want to go down there. So I had to reassure them, it's okay, just, just keep walking. You'll come to the door, turn the handle, reach in and turn the light switch on. You know, life hits us with uncertainty sometimes. You're going about your business, your normal routine, and you flick the switch and suddenly the light bulb don't turn on. What do I do now? If I keep walking, I'm walking in the dark. I, don't, I, I can't see. I don't know what's there. I don't know where I'm headed. I don't know what God is doing. I don't want to be here. I wish that light bulb turned on. But it didn't. What do you do next? That's where the disciples were at this point. They wish Jesus hadn't been crucified. They wish he was still alive. They wish he was still there with them. But he was dead. He was buried. What next? They were called to continue on, to stay faithful in the meantime that trust God in heaven knows what he's doing. And I've just got to wait. And in the meantime, I've got to stay faithful. I've got to serve. I've got to honor him with my loyalty and honor him with my legacy. Even though you might not, be what, you might not know what God is up to. One of my favorite quotes Charles Spurgeon says this, If you cannot trace his hand, you can always trust his heart. You may not know what God is up to. What is he planning with this? I don't get it, God. When you can't trace his hand, you can always trust his heart. God is in heaven. He's in control. You can trust him. And the primary way you demonstrate your trust in God, stay faithful in your service to the Lord. Serve Him faithfully even when you cannot grasp the big picture. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You for Your grace. In those moments when we lack in our loyalty and our faithfulness to You, You stay faithful to us. Even though we don't deserve it, that's what grace does. That's love. And God, we thank you that you loved us so much. You sent Christ, not only to live for us, but also to die for us and to rise for us. We put our trust in him. And as followers of Jesus, there are times, Lord, we must confess, we don't understand. We don't necessarily like being in the dark. It's scary. It's, it's unknown. It's, it's unfamiliar. But true discipleship is about following the Lord even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We fear no evil for the Lord 
God, our shepherd, you are with us. Lord, our prayer is today that there be anyone here they think about their eternal destination and they see uncertainty and there's fear and Lord I pray you would convince them to put their trust in Christ he is the only way he is the only way to eternal life the only way to peace with God the only way to forgiveness of sins Lord lead souls to Jesus today Lord, I also pray for this congregation as we go through the ups and downs of life. Sometimes don't understand, Lord, what you're doing. We don't like the situation or the circumstance that we find ourselves in. That doesn't mean that you have abandoned us. It doesn't mean that you have quit. It means that we have to, in faith, gather up courage, stay resolute, and trust you. Father, in this time of decision, whatever it is that you are calling us to do, I pray we would respond accordingly, whether it's for salvation, to officially join this church, baptism, a call to ministry or missions, rededication of a life, whatever it may be, Lord, we are humble, we are open, we are willing and ready to respond. Give us the courage and the boldness to do what you have called us to do in this moment. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.